This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County and Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb Sycamore, covering much of central Illinois and also part of northern Illinois. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn. Remember, we are brought to you by you and couldn't uh, operate without you. So if anyone out there would like to make a donation, we would greatly appreciate any donation, large or small. And if you'd like to do that, you can contact us at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, our website, catholicspiritradio.com. It'll tell you a lot more about ourselves and what we do and uh, how you can help. And uh, you can make a donation at the website. If you'd like to call us, our number is 309-807-2427. Again, that's 309-807-2427. And you can give us a call there. But probably the best thing to do is go to our website. And that makes everything easy. And again, anything that you can give would be greatly appreciated. Uh, we are going to have some events coming up here shortly. Uh, September 29th and 30th, you may have heard, uh, Catholic Spirit Radio is taking a trip to Canton, Ohio, and seeing there the Mother Angelica Museum and also uh, the Rhoda Weiss uh, uh, house where Rhoda Weiss uh, influenced uh, uh, Rita uh, Rizzo. And, of course, she became Mother Angelica, so you get a tour of that as well. And then on the way to uh, Canton, they will stop at St. Mary of the Woods uh, Shrine in Indiana. It's going to be a great tour, so that's coming up the 29th and 30th. And coming up here very shortly uh, at uh, August 3rd, that's Wednesday, August 3rd at 7 o'clock, there will be a rosary uh, at our radio station. the prior to the rosary from seven to eight o'clock, there will be a tour of the station and uh, some treats and then the rosary at uh, eight o'clock and you can park in our parking lot on the north side of the building and stay in your car for the rosary if you want, or you can get out and sit in uh, lawn chairs or whatever outside for the rosary, however you want to do it. But uh, be sure to remember that, put it on your calendar and see if you can be here for that event. Uh, today, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about what uh, happens now after Roe. Um, there's been this big to-do and hoopla about the Roe decision, and some of that, of course, is still going on. But now that it's starting to settle down some, and the Supreme Court has ruled that Roe uh, was really not uh, done well and is really not constitutional, has ruled it out, uh, there's... Uh, going to be a difference uh, in uh, how abortion will be treated. It will be state legislatures that will have to deal with it. And uh, what is going to happen for the future and what does that mean? And uh, we're going to do an article all about that uh, by Mary Eberstadt. And uh, it's in National Review. And if we have time, we'll also read uh, from an article in First Things by R.R. Reno, the editor, and his uh, take on what's going to happen now that Roe has been uh, ruled unconstitutional. So 
uh, we'll deal with that. Before we start, uh, I want to defer to my wife, Lynn, and see if she has anything that she wants to say before we get started. Oh, I think everybody should come to the rosary if you possibly can. But bring your own lawn chair or blanket or something to sit on. We don't have enough, you know, there won't be enough chairs here at the station. But it should be very interesting. They're going to have ice cream and give you a tour of the, of the station and then uh, have the rosary. We can everybody, you know, you get a, get a really good uh, amount of grace for saying the rosary in public. So keep that in mind. We can all, you know, use all the grace we can get, especially in this day and age. So kind of focus on that. Try to get here on Tuesday. Wednesday? Wednesday, yes. Why do I think that's... It's Wednesday, August 3rd. Okay, Wednesday. Right. August 3rd. Just coming up here very shortly. I can't believe it's going to be August. Coming up this week. Kids are starting school. It won't be long, that's for sure. No, they're starting school this week, aren't they? Oh, are they really already? Yeah. That seems like early. Oh, well. It is early. So, So, hope you you can make it. Hope see you all on uh, Wednesday. Wednesday, August 3rd, 7 o'clock, in the north parking lot uh, on the north side of our building. And... uh, that's at, at, the, at, at the radio station, mm-hmm. and that's on Boykins, and you can look it up. Go to our website, catholicspiritradio.com. It'll tell you all about it, and then you can come on that night, and it'll be uh, a nice event. So at any rate, uh, I want to read an article called What the Nurses Knew, and it's by Mary Eberstadt, and she writes a lot for uh, Catholic publications and for other publications as well. This is a, uh, appears in the National Review, and it's the August 1st issue. I think it's the August 1st, the brand-new issue. Let me double-check it. Yeah, the August 1st issue, the brand-new issue of National Review. And uh, it goes over uh, how Roe came about, and then it talks about what is it going to be like now that Roe has been struck down by the Supreme Court and uh, how will it uh, change things and change society and what will be uh, the new challenges for the pro-life movement and uh, what will be some of the responses and how, how will they, the, what the direction and so forth will be for the uh, uh, pro-choice and people who call themselves pro-choice. So it's an interesting article. It's entitled again, what the Nurses Knew, The Meaning of Rose End by Mary Eberstadt. And uh, it says here, uh, uh, like most adults today, I barely remember life before Roe versus Wade. But I do recall the uh, flashbulb moment when the New World Order hit home. One night in 1973, my mother returned from work with something shiny on the collar of her starch white uniform a silver pin representing two tiny feet. She would wear it at the local hospital from then on, she explained, and so would some of the other nurses. The pin signaled their refusal to participate in abortion, a word I heard that night for the first time. This was not an association of Catholics. These were nurses, period. Medical professionals, in a small city hospital in upstate New York. They knew from their shifts in labor and maternity wards uh, that what grew within a pregnant woman 
was no mere clump of cells. Long before the sonogram would settle the question forever, nurses and doctors and midwives and others experienced in handling pregnancy and birth knew. It would take a massive campaign of indoctrination by the country's most elite institutions and staggering complicity to try to obliterate that knowledge. Courts and universities, medical schools and prestige journalism, Hollywood and the arts, trendsetters and jetsetters all thronged to the challenge. It would take culture-wide mendacity of a most vigorous and self-interested kind to replace what the nurses knew uh, with one uh, bold lie after another. Violence toward the unborn is a human right. Mothers and children are natural enemies. Career comes first, my body, my choice. And this is what uh, these people would push and uh, what the society eventually would come to believe. Uh, Given uh, the sheer scale of that re-education project, it's small wonder that so many went so far astray. As the decades ground on and the thrown away piled up and the hearts and minds pledged to their defense remained mostly outside uh, once polite society, more and more younger Americans came to hear nothing but the gospel of, uh, according to Roe. One by one, their leaders bent before the idea of convenience. So too did plenty of their parents, at times even their children, even their churches. It fell to self-dealing hucksters like Hugh Hefner to seize the cultural initiative, normalizing the notion that one sophisticated uh, solution to a problem is to kill it. This brings us to a first extra-legal meaning of the Dobbs decision. The generations schooled by Roe were duped, big time, beginning with their majority opinions. The law, as is famously repeated, is a teacher, but taught, but Roe taught scientism, boulderized history, and the word boulderized here means it, it uh, cleaned up a lot of the negative things about something, cleaned it up, of course, uh, sort of surreptitiously, and uh, made things sound a lot better than they really were. And it goes on, it says, boulderized history and uh, naked will harnessed to uh, faulty logic Dobbs, by extraordinary contrast, teaches constitutional law and history with rigorous, uncompromising reason. The decision says, in effect, this court and this country took a major wrong turn almost 50 years ago. From now on, thanks to the courage of this court's majority, the generations duped by Roe can't uh, pretend not to know. Yes, a clamorous and at times menacing minority now cling bitterly to yesterday's license. In some states, abortion will continue as before, maybe even increase. Corporations broadcast that they will go to great lengths to hold on to their female employees, subsidize abortion, subsidize egg freezing, and whatever else it takes to make a company woman 
be more like a man. Even so, pro-choice advocates must now do what they have not been accustomed to doing uh, for half a century. Make their case in the public square. The clarifications, however sepulchral, will not will be instructive. Uh, hence, once more, one more change for the better. A second uh, meaning of Dobbs is equally bracing. If it has turned out that under the aegis of the Constitution, abortion on demand requires a second look, then related second looks at today's American experiment might also be in order. These include not only scrutiny of other cases involving uh, substantive uh, due process as recommended in Justice Clarence Thomas's concurrence. We are also overdue for new critical thinking about society at large after Roe entailing plain English about what the uh, post-1960 social revolutions wrought. And I like that word plain English here because it seems that the progressive movement all the way from its beginning way back in the 1960s or earlier, has used the English language as a means of deceit and has always uh, phrased things very carefully so that they sound a lot better than they really are. Again, that's boulderizing the language, making something sound like it's something else other than what it really is. And that's been going on until this day. And I think anymore, almost all people, including the, the, the liberals and the progressives who are at the very bottom rung of the liberal or progressive ladder, understand that what they're saying is deceitful. Now, let me give you an example. I remember talking uh, with a group of people and there was a, a lady there uh, talking about securing the border. And uh, she was, of course, on the side that somehow or another we should let all these illegal aliens come across the border. <coughs> Uh, without being scrutinized. And one of her arguments was is that uh, the wall was a bad thing because it wouldn't work anyway, that a wall simply wouldn't work. Well, of course, you know, we keep people in prisons and the walls certainly work. And uh, the Berlin Wall that the Soviets put up certainly worked. And uh, we have walls in all kinds of cases that certainly work. I mean, it's very apparent that walls do work. Uh, whether you're in favor of it or not, the point is is that the whole idea of the wall not working, that it wouldn't do what it's designed to do, that somehow or another people would simply continue to pour over it even if we were trying to patrol it and uh, keep people out and have people come here legally, that none of these things would work uh, is simply silly. And yet these people will advocate this things that they wouldn't advocate in any other situation just because of the ideological direction of it. And this is what I mean. This spills over into all of their language, always rephrasing something so it sounds better than it really is, and it sounds like something else, and it makes the people who oppose it seem as if somehow they're opposing the good instead of the bad. And that's what's been going on a lot with our language. Right. Isn't uh, that a ploy of the left, Paul? Yes, it is. It's a ploy of the left. It goes the, way back. The progressives, whatever you want. I'm not saying that it, it's not used sometimes by people on the other side. Uh, people like to phrase things as uh, nicely as they can. But it has been strongly much more weighted on the one side than it has the other. That's for sure. 
so at any rate, it goes on. It says, for God's sake, look at where we've been. 63 million abortions since 1973. 63 million human creatures prevented from turning into babies and toddlers, teenagers and adults, filling playgrounds, working and marrying, comforting aged parents, enriching the lives of siblings and cousins and friends, enjoying children of their own, staving off uh, by their very existence the ravages of that singular lethal curse of this age, the age of Roe, that is loneliness. So, you know, this is what Roe has wreaked, and uh, this is something that uh, the new uh, finding by the Supreme Court will help us address, and uh, we will come back. We're going to have to take a break here after the break and talk more about that. Uh, Again, look at uh, where we are now, that vaunted, freer, better world, and uh, whose name Rose Toll has been committed. And are we better and freer than we were back in 1973? And, of course, anyone who has lived through both eras knows that that certainly is not the case. We're not better and we're not freer. And more and more people are understanding that America is going in the wrong direction and has been going in the wrong direction for quite some time. And part of that wrong direction, a huge part of that wrong direction, has been the whole idea of pro-choice and the whole idea of abortion and the whole idea of finding some right in a constitution under Roe, uh, which was a very, very convoluted uh, finding and convoluted, convoluted reading of the law. Even people on the other side, people who were uh, pro-choice or pro-abortion, understood that the way the law was arrived at uh, was simply distorted and uh, not along the lines of the Constitution at all. So we're going to go ahead and stop here and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Here's a lovely way to spend an August evening. On August 3rd at 8 p.m., everyone is invited to pray the rosary. Catholic Spirit Radio is hosting an outdoor rosary event in their parking lot under the glow of their illuminated rosary. Ice Cream Sundays and Radio Station Tours start at 7.15. The Glorious Mysteries start at 8. Sit in your car or bring your lawn chair to the north parking lot at 108 Boykins Place in Normal. Rain or shine, August 3rd. See you there. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks. Others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to CatholicSpiritRadio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-CARS. Hi, this is Bob Johnson. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break, and we're talking about the, the effects of the Supreme Court's decision on Roe and the overruling of Roe. And uh, we're reading from an article called What the Nurses Knew, The Meaning of Roe's End by Mary Eberstadt. And she was talking about the fact that are we actually better off now? Are we freer and better than we were uh, before 1973, when Roe was first uh, put in, and her answer, of course, is uh, no, that uh, the world now careens toward chaos. During the last few years, American life expectancy has fallen for the first time in our history. 
drugs that anesthetized life and conscience course down Main Street, deprived of a circle of people in their lives for reasons that include nonstop abortion, some among us display the pathologies of psychologist Harry Harlow's socially isolated animals, rage, violence, dysfunction, untethered from their own, they are in free fall. The clinical varieties of what used to be called madness keep rising, especially among the young. And uh, this sentence reminds me of a Greek saying that uh, whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad. And I think we will take up that particular saying here in in some later uh, uh, shows, but it's very, very true. And it seems that uh, that's exactly what happens to a society as well. Whom, what's a society that gods would destroy at first makes madness. It seems like we are undergoing a, a sort of madness all over the place, uh, some of the things that we're doing. It says here, And now the feral offspring of a feral era pour unprecedented violence into the streets. And I want to emphasize here that just the other day, uh, watching on tele- television news, uh, there was a, a group sort of showing a tour of the Chicago area, Chicago streets, and Chicago neighborhoods in which unprecedented violence was taking place. And a lot of this violence was being caused by younger and younger people. Some of these uh, were being caused by kids that were as young as, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old. And the the, uh, narrator, the person that was talking about what was going on in these neighborhoods and why people were becoming afraid and more and more people are wanting to own guns for, you know, self-protection, referred to a lot of these kids as feral children. And here's this word here again, feral. And feral, of course, means, you know, wild, uh, ungoverned. And these children are feral because in a lot of cases, they're really not being raised by anybody. They have, uh, you know, homes without fathers. The mothers sometimes are either constantly working to try, especially in these inflationary times, to keep their nose above water, or they're on drugs or other things and simply not taking care of the kids. And the kids run loose in gangs, and they become uh, vicious and uh, violent uh, as a reaction to the kind of situation they're in. They're not learning anything. They don't learn in school. A lot of them don't even go to school. They're in and out of school. And uh, more and more of this kind of thing is happening, and we're allowing this to happen. And uh, Mary Eberstadt here is saying that abortion has led to a lot of this, this this whole idea of the destruction of families, uh, the destruction of the family both culturally and uh, also ethically, and the destruction also simply through the abortion, and drugs have led to it. So, but abortion plays a huge share if it's not the uh, only cause. If you don't have any respect for life, you you know, it's not there, so it's not important. If there's no respect for life, you have no respect for anything. That That's a very good point. And I think it, it, it filters down through society almost by osmosis. People don't have to think it directly, but I think kids understand when somehow or another they're, you know, I mean, these kids, especially the feral kids, when they're in effect not wanted or not taken care of or they don't have a family, they're not tied to anything, that they're simply going to be tied to each other and it's the, the worst in human nature is going to influence and lead them. They belong to gangs and there are older people that will, 
use them and turn them into uh, situations and activities and things that are beneficial to the older people who may profit from what the kids are doing. But at any rate, they certainly will not learn the things that they need to learn to live in a civilized society. And uh, we're letting this happen. And we're letting it happen uh, right uh, in front of our eyes. And, you know, we're, we're broadcasting here in Illinois. And this is happening in our own state right there in Chicago. Uh, people being terrified of gun violence constantly going on all the time. And it's done by not just gangs as it was in an earlier time that are perhaps more organized, but groups of almost feral children running around just uh, like a pack of wild dogs. Yes, yeah. and didn't just this week we could hear a report from Washington, D.C., that uh, the mayor there, that these children that are being sent to, across the border, coming across our southern border alone, Yes. And what do they have to turn to? The gangs? Exactly. Because nobody to take care for them. Exactly. A lot and, of, yeah, and 13 of them were found in this one house. Exactly. A lot of these will... The gang. Well, you know, that's the only uh, kind of security they'll have is somehow belong to a gang. And, of course, a lot of these kids will have uh, an inner anger and rage at being treated the way they're being treated, and that will come out. And a lot of them will be actually directed toward the things that, you know, they'll be defending the very things that are making them that way and not even understanding it because that's the direction in which they'll be led by a lot of the, you know, less than uh, ethical people who will get hold and take, you know, some kind of care of them in order to direct them at uh, uh, the kind of uh, violence and, and uh, activities that will make make it profitable for these people who take control of some of these gangs. These are the kind of things that will happen. The cartels and so forth get hold of them and use them uh, as runners and use them as a means of uh, stealing and uh, selling drugs and, and uh, trafficking uh, people and so forth. They're directed into all kinds of illegal uh, activities and uh, destructive activities instead of uh, being directed into activities that create uh, our civilization and contribute to it. So those are the things that happen. Uh, it says, practically to a man, these demented souls share interrupted family trees. Uh, another blight that abortion on demand with its millions of human subtractions helped to make possible. Barbarism towards small things breed bar breeds barbarism toward bigger things. And that's what you were talking about, Lynn. In other words, when we have this attitude toward unborn children, it spills over into everything else. People can tell uh, that there's a, a disvaluing of human life. Who can doubt that we that the wanton devaluation of nurture enshrined by Rowan Casey bears some of the unassigned blame here? Third, Dobbs spells vindication of an epical kind uh, to millions who never expected to see it, the pro-life movement. In other words, the pro-life movement has been operating for a long, long time, all the way since 1973, and all of the burden of proof has been constantly on it. Uh, the Supreme Court said that abortion is a natural right or some kind of a right that uh, women have, a constitutional right in America. And so the burden of proof has constantly been on the pro-life movement, and people could oppose it simply by saying that uh, abortion has been a settled question. The Supreme Court settled it. 
women have a right to this and you people are in effect opposing the law and you're not good citizens out here doing what you're doing and there you know a lot of there was a lot of uh, expectation that this could go on for a long long time and th- things would never change but they have and so to a lot of the pro life people it seems like a miracle all those grannies and priests teenagers and parents those people from all over with their strollers and walkers and wheelchairs, those counter-cultural doctors and nurses, those penitents and refugees from the sexual revolution, those Americans of every uh, hue and place who have made this movement the most small-c Catholic association in the United States, every foot soldier now knows in his heart something hitherto accepted in blind faith. The sacrifices were worth it, all of them. In other words, this repetition every year of uh, the march on Washington, uh, the standing out in the cold, all of the things that the pro-life has been, life had movement has been doing that seem sort of like uh, throwing feathers into the wind have now actually amounted to something. And all of that uh, pain and suffering and hard work were worth it. It actually happened. Roe was overturned, something that nobody expected to happen, uh, especially when it did happen. Uh, Every last pair of ice-crested sneakers and socks marching down the National Mall in frigid January, every tedious long trip made for the cause by anyone, anywhere, every prayer for the innocent lobbed blindly into the cosmos, every diaper and dime sent to emergency pregnancy centers, every word uttered or written on behalf of the defenseless, and to those who led by love alone, every sleepless night spent taking care of a baby, waiting up for a teenager, arranging for an adoption, sitting with a woman in labor, dropping off meals to new families, all of those unbidden acts, seen or unseen, counted. Every sliver, every silver pin of yesteryear, representing tiny feet, counted. So it happened, and it seems to a lot of the pro-life people a miracle. And, of course, it set off a huge explosion of resentment and uh, absolutely uh, uh, sort of uh, shock. Hatred, anger, and total shock uh, by the uh, pro-choice people who just, you know, the same thing, couldn't believe that this was actually happening, that that the whole— foundation upon which they rested their case was actually overturned by the Supreme Court, and that many people, if they want to look at the legal arguments on their own side, would agree that the legal arguments for Roe were pretty much worthless, <laughs> that they were very, they were just convoluted and distorted, and uh, it was a means of somehow or another, we know that abortion is good, or we know that abortion should be legal, and we're going to reason our way to it one way or another, even if we have to torture the Constitution to do it. And that's exactly, in 1973, what the justices on the Supreme Court did, and now everybody knows it. And so it puts the shoe totally on the other foot. It's no longer the pro-life people who have to stand outside the Constitution and oppose what everybody else can say has been settled law. Now it's the other people who have to stand outside the Constitution and say that abortion should be legal even though it's not a constitutional right. And that, that changes everything. So even if abortion goes on, there is going to be a legal argument about it in every state. 
and it is going to make the people who p- promote abortion have to come up with arguments for it. And a lot of those arguments are specious, and uh, a lot of those arguments simply don't hold water in any way. And uh, you can see through a lot of those arguments, and there's enough evidence now to show all of the downsides that have happened because of Roe and the the, the negative effects on our society that happened because of Roe. And it will be harder and harder and harder for uh, the people on the other side to take such a, a cavalier attitude toward human life. And there should be, hopefully, a movement over time toward a more and more pro-life stance. And uh, this is what uh, Mary Hubbard-Stat is uh, predicting. She goes on here, she says, uh, Dobbs also yields a fourth kind of meaning, this one for politics. In the battles between those who believe the United States to be irredeemable without radical new arrangements and those who do not, a gale wind of momentous uh, a gale wind of momentum has just been sent the latter's way, that is on the side of the, the pro-life movement. Hamilton, Madison, and Jay came through. The federalism that remains one of the wonders of the political world came through. It came through in a way that many since Roe had despairs had despaired of ever happening again. And so our, 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 the, the legalities of our Constitution and the way it was set up actually worked. It took a long time, 50 years, but over time it actually worked. It finally reached the point where justices on the Supreme Court could no longer defend the decision that was made in 1973 simply by saying that it was precedent, that it was so bad and so much against good constitutional law that they finally had to take the offense and declare that it was null and void. And so this is what happened. And finally, you know, the basis of our law has finally come through and overturned uh, this horrible decision. And exactly as Roe did before it, that last lesson will race beyond America's statehouses, the courts and parliaments around the globe. For years, countless grounded in the same civilization have wearied of their own traditional past and uh, long for a seat at the Western cool kids table. A number have lately deep-sixed earlier national laws that proscribed and limited abortion. Now the most prominent court in the world has declared that that law need not rubber stamp the destruction of the unborn after all. True uh, recrimination from abroad thunders on for now, but the claim that legalizing abortion puts a nation uh, in history, in, in, in history's uh, swankest uh, corner has been undercut. Without doubt, the second thought sparked by Dobbs will not be confined to the United States borders. So this is going to be a worldwide thing. The United States is, like I say, one of the premier courts of the whole world. And the whole world is looking at this. And, of course, the whole world is reacting pretty much in the same way that many people in the United States have reacted. Uh, They're just shocked that this has happened. And a lot of them are protesting and against it. But as time goes on, 
and the debate will start to change and it will be seen that uh, more and more that the people who disagree with the Dobbs decision don't really have any good arguments to base their disagreement on. Uh, they can't really base it on a, a uh, disagreement based on the Constitution itself because the Constitution was horribly twisted by Roe. And so they have to reach for other arguments. And those arguments will then be, in a sense, show the downside of abortion much more than being able to stand on a constitutional approval of abortion ever will. And again, the shoe will then be on the other foot. It will be up to them somehow to approve, to prove that abortion is some, 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 some kind of a necessary thing in modern civilization. And that's going to be a lot harder to do. And it will make the pro-life movement far more legitimate because they will not be opposing a constitutional uh, understanding of abortion, a constitutional approval of abortion. They will be disapproving of abortion itself, and the spotlight and the focus will be on uh, what abortion does and why it's unnecessary uh, rather than simply on the fact that it's going against the Constitution. It won't be going against the Constitution anymore. So we're going to stop and take a break here. And uh, we'll come back and finish the article. Article, So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. The next Catholic Spirit Radio pilgrimage is September 29th through 30th. We'll be going to Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica. We'll tour the Mother Angelica Museum and visit the Rhoda Weiss Miracle House. Rhoda had the stigmata and interceded for the curing of Mother's physical ailment. This bus trip also includes a tour of St. Mother Theodore Guerin Shrine at St. Mary of the Woods, Indiana. Check the Catholic Spirit Radio website for details. Here's a lovely way to spend an August evening. On August 3rd at 8 p.m., everyone is invited to pray the rosary. Catholic Spirit Radio is hosting an outdoor rosary event in their parking lot under the glow of their illuminated rosary. Ice Cream Sundays and Radio Station Tours start at 7.15. The Glorious Mysteries start at 8. Sit in your car or bring your lawn chair to the north parking lot at 108 Boykins Place in Normal. Rain or shine, August 3rd. See you there. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break. We're talking about after Roe versus Wade, uh, what's next. And uh, we're reading from an article called What the Nurses Knew, The Meaning of Roe's End by Mary Eberstadt. She's talking about some of the downsides of abortion, what it has done to the United States, what it has done to our culture, and much of the negatives and how it's contributed to a lot of the negative things that are going on in our culture. She's pointing out how the change uh, by the Supreme Court, the ruling out of Roe versus Wade, puts the shoe on the other foot and uh, makes it uh, the, the burden of proof uh, for the pro-abortion uh, people to, uh, on their argument, and takes the uh, burden of proof away from the people uh, on the pro-life side who before had to argue from a point of view that was uh, against uh, the Constitution, so-called against the Constitution because of the Roe uh, ruling. And uh, it, it changes things, and the arguments will be a lot different in the future, it will be the pro-abortion people, the pro-choice people that will have to make the argument 
that uh, we should continue and have abortion and it won't be uh, they won't have the constitution on their side as they've had for the last 50 years and so it seems like a miracle almost to the pro-life people that this has all happened because uh, it hasn't and I want to mention here also uh, I think uh the Catholic Church itself, I, I, I'll, I'll get to this in a little bit, I think. Uh, maybe it's here in the article, but uh, on what the church, the early church said, even it was discouraged, and we'll get to that too. But all of that is behind us, and the argument will take on a different uh, point of view. And there will also have to be different tactics in the pro-life movement. They will have to advocate things, different things. So it will mean a change for what they do as well. And she goes on here, uh, Mary Eberstadt, she says, Fifth, as has been said truthfully and ad infinitum since uh, the leak of the draft uh, opinion in May, Dobbs means that the pro-life movement must pivot to accommodate new uh, work. There will be more checks to be written, more pro bono legal help, more therapy for fragile families, more roofs to shelter innocent heads, more adoption options, more attention to foster care, more time spent in prisons and other places helping absent and uh, estranged fathers become fathers, and a word more love. It also suggests room for initiatives on another side of the ledger, deterrence. Thanks to Roe for a very long time, men with the worst intentions have enjoyed carte blanche to behave heartlessly. That cultural permission now looks shakier than it has in 50 years. Just for starters, in the name of renewed compassion for women, how about doubling the penalties for possession of date rape drugs and imposing mandatory sentences for their use or toughening up paternity and child support laws in every state or taking a closer look at a commercial surrogacy industry that treats mothers like domesticated animals and babies like high-end consumer choices. Yeah, that's a thing that we have now where where women can actually have sort of like uh, uh, babies. (laughs) They don't bother to have to have the babies themselves. They can have a surrogate mother. And uh, it's almost like an industry in which people are treated like some kind of a product. And that certainly is a detriment to our society as well. Maybe we can start addressing those kind of problems now. But uh, one of the things I wanted to get at uh, before I end this uh, is that uh, it was so surprising what happened with Roe versus Wade. I can remember, and I won't say the name of the bishop, but I can remember what the American, you know, Council of Bishops uh, back maybe four or five years ago when they were talking about some of the, the overdoing the abortion uh, protests, the march on Washington and that kind of thing. I think they were getting a little bit discouraged and tired of it. And one of them saying that, uh, why don't we just concede that we have lost on Roe? And I won't name the name, but uh, the fact is, is that uh, we didn't lose. And the pro-life movement, in spite of how bleak it looked, kept up uh, their morale and kept doing what they were doing. Sometimes, like I say, without a lot of hope that anything would ever happen or whatever change, but it did. And so all of those things were not without merit 
and uh, we're not without results and the results are in and the whole um, paradigm now will change and what goes on in the future will be entirely different than what has been going on in the past and maybe society itself is beginning to take a look at the ravages of Roe and if it does that maybe it's beginning to take a look also at the ravages in our country that are happening on a lot of other fronts as well and hopefully there could be a turning point and we can turn away from this again it isn't going to be easy and it won't happen overnight but hopefully uh, this might be a turning point for the country to turn itself around and start heading in a better direction uh, it goes on here it says uh, the long national rave inaugurated by Roe versus Wade is over its uh, run has been prodigious just about every adult now alive checked in on that party somewhere but what the forces behind Roe would never acknowledge and the forces behind Dobbs do is the ultimate lesson of that experience there is a floor there is a level beneath which men and women cannot sink in the name of autonomy without crashing through to a pit. And that is certainly true because I think we have, in many cases, crashed through the floor into the pit. Uh, remember, Lynn, some of the, on, on uh, television showing what was going on on the subways in New York City? It's, oh, that was awful. It, Just made, awful. it made it look like some kind of a worse, worse than the animals in a zoo. And I couldn't help but think, Sodom and Gomorrah, there it was on the subway in, in New York City. I think Sodom and Gomorrah would have been orderly and orderly compared to what <laughs> what was going on in the subways there uh, in New York City. Uh, and we got a guide through that also as well, you know, a camera guide through it. And one poor man on that subway was pointing out finally, he said, you know, the world is seeing what I have to go through every day riding on this subway. To get to work. Just to get to work. And it was just incredible. I mean, there were people urinating on seats. There were people... Uh, urinating on each other. On each other. There were were uh, sort of like... They were in their bathing suits or something. Some and, of them were naked in their bathing yeah. suits, uh, standing on their heads, so-called twerking, and, you know, with their butt this muscles going up and down. And uh, peeing on like a rubber slide that they had made, you know, sort of like a, one of those pool slides or whatever that you, you blow up. You know, like little kids have, and yeah. they put it on the lawn. Yeah. And, they and you put the, the hose on it, and, and it gets moist, and you can slide down it. They were peeing on it and sliding down it. I mean, this, yes. is, this is insane on a subway. And then we have, uh, you know, someone who's supposed to be in charge of our uh, our transportation. <laughs> and and uh, starting some kind of what is it called a momentum or something like that a new and supposedly supposedly showing this as an example for the world to follow and they followed uh, what was going on on our subways the picture of it they followed with what the subways looked like in Tokyo and what the subways looked like in in Korea uh, South Korea and other countries. And in those countries, they were orderly, they were neat, <laughs> the people were polite. Immaculately you know, clean. Immaculately clean, and so forth. And, and we're, they're supposed to take an example from us. They must be laughing, you know, <laughs> to this day. <laughs> so uh, these are some things that are being exposed. It says, anyhow, uh, there is a level beneath which, you know, we can get you know, on the floor. It, it, that's a level where nobody 
has a respect for anybody else. It's plain in sight. Exactly. It says, and thanks to this court, the United States is now lifted from the depths once more. This is uh, not just a good thing, but a great one to be celebrated and memorialized and passed down with pride like all liberations from bondage, however partial. And look at that, liberations from bondage. I mean, the fact is, is that this idea of pure autonomy, this idea of doing whatever you want, of being free to live however you please. Uh, what is it? Justice Roberts talked about this idea, you know, like, uh, uh, I, I always forget what he says. It's so in, it's sort of insane that uh, every person has the right to decide for himself, you know, what his course of life right. will be like and so forth. He goes on and on. It, it uh, In other words, uh, it shows that a life lived that way is less free than the life that is lived by rules and uh, right. by, by and ethics. You, I don't think anybody can deny the fact that freedom has, uh, we don't have the freedom that we had years ago. And the way to prove it, you look at your neighborhood. How many kids do you see playing outside? Exactly. You don't see nearly as many at all playing outside. We had freedom when we were kids to go go and do almost anything anywhere. It was a safe environment all over town. Uh, kids were that way almost everywhere. You could play from dawn till dark. And because you had more rules and society was uh, far more stable and uh, more ethical and uh, uh, had, had more... Uh, the neighborhood... Uh, oversaw yeah. the behavior of children. Exactly, and, and adults had more authority, and people were had to conform more to a pattern of living and so forth with each other. Everyone, because of that, was far freer. Civility uh, encourages, in other words, we all have to get along with each other. We all have to pass each other in daily uh, work and, and daily business and so forth. And all kinds of rules and so forth make that possible, just like the rules of the road make it possible to drive freely, to enjoy yourself while you drive, to go down the right side of the road. Can you imagine what it would be like if everybody could drive on the road any way they wished? Well, they could individual to. and do whatever they wanted. You can imagine the chaos and everything. There would be no freedom on the road whatsoever. There would be nothing but danger and accidents and violence and uh, anger and recriminations and hatred, but the rules of the road, the strict rules of the road, make it possible for everybody to enjoy the road and be on it and keep accidents down to a minimum and be able to go out and go about your business or even just go for a, 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 a pleasant pleasure drive uh, without constantly worrying about you know, coming into conflict with other people. And that's what rules do for society in general. And this idea of pure autonomy doesn't work. It makes people less free, and uh, it makes things much worse. And uh, Roe, uh, with its uh, idea that you could actually kill other human beings or kill babies and so forth, and that there were some kind of an enemy in the womb, uh, and the only way that it could be treated was, uh, the only way a woman could be free was to have access to abortion, contributed a lot to that. And it contributed to a disrespect for human life. And when you have a disrespect for human life, you have a disrespect for the rules that make that human life compatible and possible with everybody else. And uh, that is exactly, you know, what happened with Roe. And we're beginning to learn that the, the rules of civilization, the whole idea of civilization, depends on law. 
It depends on order. It depends on controlling impulses and controlling uh, personal desires. And in the long run, that control and that uh, restriction of your so-called freedom leads to a greater freedom that you would never have unless you had those rules and ethics and obligations and you obey them and you have a, a far happier outcome and a happier life. And so freedom, we need to redefine freedom and talk about what freedom really is. And there certainly isn't any freedom when there is nothing but anarchy and chaos and how people relate to each other. Uh, take a look at one of those subways and what would you rather ride on? Where would you feel more free? In one, say, in South Korea or in Tokyo, where the behavior of people is greatly restricted and they have to conform to certain cultural norms. And if they don't, they're not allowed to ride, you know, or they're even put in jail. Which place are you freer in? And you're a lot freer in the place where it's pleasant to ride on the subway and interact with people in a civilized way, to read your newspaper, your book, and enjoy your commute to work or wherever else you're going, and know that you can go and come uh, undisturbed and you won't have to contend with uh, violence or with uh, ugly behavior. Uh, it's a lot more free. Isn't that what Jesus came to teach? He said that you, you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. And some of these things is, are certainly not truth. And Roe was a lie. The very yes. the, the very the twisting of the Constitution was a lie. Uh, the, the desire to get something without actually making the argument. And this is exactly what uh, Earl, Chief Justice Warren did. It was the idea that we, the elites, know better. And the American people are stuck in some kind of traditional behavior that they do simply out of rote and they don't really understand why that behavior is, we're beyond them and we'll never get anything done unless somehow or another we can pull them along by the force of law. And that's what they did. Instead of democracy, they took the law in effect into their own hands and used the law in order to get what they wanted instead of using the democratic process. And they still do that today, only now they deceitfully call it democracy. That somehow or another five people on the Supreme Court ruling that Roe versus Wade is legal is some kind of a democratic uh, process, which is nonsense. So uh, we are being restored, hopefully, to where the Supreme Court should be. And that is to be very, very careful about... Uh, interfering with what the, the democratic process does and only doing it when it's very, very clear that, you know, the Constitution has actually been violated instead of using the Constitution, you know, to advance their own cause. And uh, in other words, using the con Constitution in a politically activist way. And hopefully we're, we're changing course. And that's what Mary Eberstadt's uh, article is all about. And we will begin to see the upside of it, and it will play out for quite some time. But in my opinion, at any rate, uh, as these arguments go on, uh, there will still be abortion, but there will be more and more ability to change and restrict what abortion does, restrict the laws, and there will be more and more a movement toward the pro-life side, and hopefully we can move along that line to a greater and greater degree. So at any rate... Uh, that uh, is what uh, Roe, uh, the, the overturning of Roe, uh, hopefully will do, and it looks like it's doing it, and the argument will change, and the uh, 
burden of proof will be on a different side than it was before, as it should be, and the Constitution will not be used in such a way as to totally distort the law itself. So, Right. Let's take away from uh, our the thinking that privacy allows you to, to murder. Exactly. Isn't that insane yeah, to think was, that way? Yeah, the whole thing, if anyone – I've read the whole thing of Roe. And it is so convoluted. It is more convoluted than than the uh, uh, court did back uh, uh, in the earlier time that started the Civil War uh, when it had the Dred Scott decision, which was you know convoluted in itself when Roger Taney uh, ruled in the Dred Scott decision. So at any rate, we're coming to our end of our time here, and uh, we're going to have to end the show. And I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him and humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world for the ruin of souls. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com. Or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio 